0: My mantra is, I just want the freedom to be me. And the freedom to be me means that I get to express what I do and how I do it on my terms.
1: That's the voice of Tamara Harding, owner of Mara Made Designs. And I'm excited to talk with her right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Tamara Harding, owner of the Jamaica-based furniture company Mara Made Designs. Tamara definitely leads with her heart when it comes to her company, but that's not to say that she leaves the business part behind. On the contrary, with her background in advertising, she recognizes more than most the importance of having a solid business plan in place as you grow. So she has balanced both heart and business as she's grown her company from humble beginnings to being the market leader of Live Edge Furniture in Jamaica, employing a full team of craftsmen in her two locations and selling her custom pieces as quickly as they can be made. Follow along as we talk about how she started her business with fireworks, how she's continued to grow and maintain her lead in the market, why she thinks following your passion is a better plan than following the money, and much more. So let's get into Tamara's story and see where her passion for furniture started.
0: So my journey into woodworking started really in my 30s. So this would have been in the early uh, 2000s. And... When I say that, it's not that I started doing any sort of actual hands-on work, but it's when I started questioning my, my purpose here on Earth, right? So I'm 47 now, and I really started maybe in my early 30s knowing and feeling an urge to do something that would leave a legacy, knowing that I was here for a higher purpose, but just not knowing what that was and I had kids very young so in my 30s I was really on the grind you know working nine to five in corporate uh raising my kids and so that didn't really it wasn't really much of a focus for me and then later on my kids both left to go away to school and I started really questioning you know why am I here what am I supposed to be doing and I promised myself that I was not going to turn 40 and not have that answer. And so now I'm 39 and a half and I don't have an answer. I own and run an advertising agency. I have major clients doing exceptionally well, feeling so miserable and unfulfilled, waking up every day with major anxiety attacks. And I'm just like, this cannot be my future. And so at 39 and a half, I wrote to all my clients, I gave them notice and I shut the business down And I took about four months of doing nothing but going and journaling and reading and soul searching and and all of these great things. And then in the Christmas of that year, I decided to, I, I always loved being creative, right? I just never really had an opportunity to explore that side. I was always in business. And so I decided that Christmas, I was going to make Christmas decorations to sell. And so I'm in Jamaica, I jump on a plane, I head to Miami, I go to Michael's, Walmart, Target, buy all of these decorations, come home, get going. Went to the first fair and not one single thing sold. And I was so deflated and I'm like, uh, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to have to put my tail in between my legs and keep going, right? Going back into corporate. So I regrouped and I said you know something let me just go on to Pinterest good old Pinterest and let me see what people are making out there for the Christmas and when I went on there was a lot of decorations made from wood and at the time I had this huge tree in my backyard that was dead with all of these cool branches and I looked at it and I was like that's what I'm going to do I'm going to cut the limbs off and I'm going to make all these cool things out of wood So I did, took apart all of the stuff I had already made and redid them and sold every single one of them. And if I could have made a thousand more, they would have sold. And that's when I had the aha moment that my future was using wood as my medium, just from that experience. And as I say, the rest is history. So what I did was in January, I used all the proceeds from those Christmas decorations, went to the local supplier here, bought my first still saw, the 170, the little tiny one, um, bought a circular saw and a jigsaw. Now I knew nothing about anything. So I took the chainsaw home, he went on to YouTube, learned how to start it, got a friend of mine who's in construction. He donated a tree to me that he had cleared To build a tennis court and i just taught myself how to carve using that small saw and his donated piece of wood didn't know what the hell i was doing with a circular saw i knew what i knew about a jigsaw but i was just like you know they sounded cool and they were reasonable and i could afford them so that's the only reason i had those other two items but really i took the whole month and i just taught myself how to carve still didn't know where i was going in regards to you know, a business or anything like that. Now, because I come from a marketing, I had this advertising agency, I built my whole brand before I even knew what my brand was about. So I had my logo, I had my name, I had my full business plan, I had my marketing strategy, my PR strategy, my social media strategy, and I didn't know what the hell I was making or selling. So I kind of put the the cart before the horse on that one but what it ended up doing was it gave me direction on where to go and as I progressed and I have friends who are in the design world so I would invite them over and be like hey I know that you guys are big into designing tell me some of the some of the areas that that you struggle with hair, like what type of pieces are you looking for that you can't ever find here? And they were like hands down dining tables and shelving and side tables, coffee tables, any sort of organic type furniture, we cannot get here. Now we do have one specific company that imports a lot of furniture from Indonesia and Bali. They have that kind of style, the live edge stuff going on anyway, but people are very loyal to Jamaica. So they want to be able to buy local and they want to be able to say that they supported a local artist when I started. There was just absolutely no one in Jamaica doing Live Edge Furniture. And so I saw an opportunity there and I just went for it. And literally every single thing that I I produce, I taught myself how to make that.
1: This is what I love about talking with people who have started their own business, who have their own furniture business, because everybody has a different story. You were like, I'm going to build the entire business before I even learn how to build furniture. Yep. So yeah. that that's really focusing on the business side, which gave you a clear path of what you wanted to do. So even mm-hmm. though you were new to it, you weren't struggling to find your path because you already had a business plan laid out.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, a big part of it for that first, maybe say five months was figuring out what I didn't want to do. So I would take little jobs here and there. And I made my happiness mito guide me on which way to go. So you know, if I took a job and it made me miserable, I took on took on a project and it made me miserable, I'd be like, okay, check. That's not going to happen again. I would, I would allow that to kind of steer me in the direction I would want to go into. And then I decided that there's just absolutely no way I'm going to make a name for myself having never been in this industry before. How are people going to know about me? How are they going to take me serious? And I decided that the best solution was to have a launch event. And so I went about creating a 100-piece collection, and I had a launch event over a three-day period. So I targeted, and again, because I was in marketing and advertising, I had a list of people from all different walks of life and all different business entities, commercial, banking, politicians. I had all of these names. and. And so I just went about inviting everybody that I could possibly invite to my launch event. And so I divided this up into three categories. Thursday was politicians, people high up in business, in banking, that type of thing. Friday were the influencers, the, the younger crowds, but you know, still well-to-do, um, own their own business or, or do very well for themselves. And then the Saturday crowd was an older generation, an older crowd, um, you know, focused mainly on the 50s and 60s, a lot of housewives, but that, that, you know, have a very strong command for the art world. And so what that did was it really set the stage for people to know about who I am. And what I did for the launch event was I contacted a local newspaper and had them come and do a huge spread about my business and had them time it. So I sent out all the invitations and everybody got them on the Friday. And then I had this huge spread in the newspaper on the Sunday. So if they got the invitation, they'd be like, what is this? They pick up the newspaper on the Sunday and it tied right back into what the invitation was that they got. And so that piqued everybody's interest. And that really, really worked because I had a really strong attendance. I, I, There were very few people that were invited that didn't attend. And those that didn't attend couldn't because there was a conflict or they were off the island. And then what I did was I asked Samsung, asked them if they would sponsor my event because I wanted to use my Samsung phone to shoot footage of and content of all of what led up to this particular launch. Of course, they were over the moon and they were like, absolutely. And so I had somebody come in and she just shot a whole bunch of footage of me working, creating this 100 piece collection. And then I made this really cool hanging desk and people would walk in and they'd have three Samsung tablets that they would have to sign in. So their first experience was seeing this massive piece of hanging wood being used as a reception desk. And then they would go from there into a tent that had a massive Samsung TV. And at the time silent headphones had just come to Jamaica. And so everybody sat in this tent and watched a five minute video that was shot and and edited from the Samsung phone of my process in creating what they were about to go and see. So of course that really helped too because then now they're emotionally connecting to my journey and what they're about to see and what i've created for them so after that then they come out of the tent and then they go around the back and that's where i had the main big massive pieces and i had done a sculpture as well a hanging sculpture and so this was their introduction to me and inside pad all of my homeware stuff, my charcuterie boards, my candles, my mirrors, my lighting. I mean, I went all out. And the, the, the small homeware items, I didn't include that in the 100-piece collection. That was just bonus stuff. So it really and truly was more than 100 pieces. And so I really, really went all out. I had literally $2 in my bank account by that show. I had to call in all the favors from when I had the advertising agency. The guys that do the trussing, I had to beg them to give it to me at cost and ask them if I could pay them in two weeks. The guys that provided the tents, I mean, and I, I tried to get as much sponsorship as possible. Again, playing on my relationships I, I had built when I had the advertising agency. And so it went very well. I sold every single item, every single thing sold. I had nothing left after. And uh, I can easily say that I took Jamaica by storm at that point. <laughs>
1: It really sounds like you did. And I think that the expression, there's mm-hmm. only one time to make a first impression
0: mm-hmm.
1: is really something that that you took to heart because besides mm-hmm. sounding like an amazing event and one that you really put your heart and soul in and your bank account, it seems as well. But besides that, <laughs> you hit on two things that are really important. One is you really understood your local market. You really took a a look at at what was happening around you and saw what was missing in your local area and really played that up and thought, this is where I can find a niche. Even though I'm just starting out, there's no competition here. And And I can build on that because the second I put my first piece of furniture out, I control that market, which Mm -hmm. is a great, a great place to be because if you have that, that running start, then yes, there will be people who follow. But if you can really cement your name on that, then that is a great place to start. And the Mm -hmm. other side that you really focused on was you were a small business, but you used all the contacts that you had to make yourself seem bigger, which is what a lot of people have to do when they're just starting out. You have to project an air of authority. You have to project like you've been there before, mm-hmm. even though it's the first time you did it. So mm-hmm. both of those ideas are are tremendously important when starting your own business.
0: And you have to fake it till you make it.
1: <laughs> you have to fake it till you make it But, and, and I do, and I do love that expression, but I also, I also feel like it's misleading for a lot of people because, you know, I'm not, I'm not fighting it. It's a, it's a fun expression and, and I've said it before and I know, you know, I, I I know, I know it always comes from, from a lighthearted place, but, but that journey that people take, that, that is the making it. And you can... Mm -hmm. You can showcase that. And a lot of times you should showcase that because a lot of times when you are a smaller business or a a growing business, that grind and that personal side, that work that you put in is what your clients are going to relate to at the beginning. So, yes, you can show that you can show professionalism, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you have to lie about where you are in in your journey.
0: Yes, that's very true.
1: Now, that was where you just started out and you jumped in with a big splash. Everybody knew your name. You, You sold out. I'm sure that must have felt great for you, but then you were like, I've done this. My happiness meter that you had mentioned before is full. I'm enjoying this. This is something I want to do. But now what are the next steps? So how did you take that first success and continue to build on it to the place you are today?
0: Right. So after the launch, what ended up happening is just my phone was just ringing off of the hook after that, meaning, you know, people wanted pieces for their villas. I ended up getting a lot of hotel work. And so I just ended up being like on the grind for this would have been so that would have been 2015. So 2016 and 2017 was was just massive grinding. Like I just worked Monday to Sunday, hired a bunch of guys, um, and just churned out as much as I could in that space of time. And by the end of 2017, I was feeling, I don't want to say burnt out, but I was feeling like the business had grown past what my intention for it was. And what I mean by that is I was not happy anymore. I was on this wheel, this this wheel that I just could not jump off of. I was at my client's mercy. I, They owned my time. Um, I had no freedom. I gave up a lot of my creative freedom, too, because, I'm, you know, 95% of my work was commissioned. So the clients knew what they wanted, and I had to basically create for their needs and wants versus when i had just launched i created what i wanted to create and put that out and it's still it still sold so at the end of the end of that period i started to question like what do i where do i want to go from here you know i i can't see myself continuing down this path if i'm gonna do this for fun do this to enjoy this obviously yes make money you know but i have to feel like it's feeding my soul i have to feel rejuvenated and and Happy when I get up in the morning, not miserable and struggling to face my guys in the workshop. And so I decided that I was going to start. A, this is, I was just all based in Kingston at this point. So I decided then that I would start another, create another location that would give me a chance to be in nature. And that's when I decided to open up a second location in Trelawney. And that was amazing because then I. I had access to being in one of the most beautiful parts of our country. I was, you know, living by a river and it was just really so amazing. And, and so I made that switch. And then as time progressed, I was getting more and more work on the North coast. And so production from Kingston was maybe at 20%. And then my, my North coast location was at 80%, which was fine by me. But then I was still doing commission work. And I had made a decision at the beginning of 2020 that I was not going to do commission work anymore. I was going to just go back to my first, first thing. And that's just create a collection, spend six months designing, creating, producing, and then have one big event, sell everything off, um, and then go again the next year. Then the pandemic hit. And I went into a full panic when that, that happened because I had committed to taking on a bigger space in the country and ramp up, you know, just, it was it was daunting to say the least because nobody knew what was happening. We didn't even know if we were gonna have food on the shelf because we, we rely on heavy import importation of our food in Jamaica. And, you know, so everybody was very uncertain at the time. And I decided that I was not gonna panic. I was, the money was not getting COVID. The money was still going to be there, and that my clients would still find me and want to spend money with me. And I just repeated that over and over and over. And everybody was at home, and and then the calls were coming in. People were wanting to fix up their places, and they wanted dining tables, entrance tables, desks to work from. And and I was like, wow, this is this is interesting. And so I ended up, as I mentioned before, moving my production, the main production, back to Kingston so it did a total flip but now i'm faced with okay here i go again back into commissioned work but hey you gotta take it while you get it because nobody knows what's gonna happen right we're all up in the air at this point point. and so i i worked my hands off in 2020 i it depleted all of the all of the stock I had. So all of the the lumber that I had been drying out, and all of the you know the pieces that I had been thinking that I was I was now like a good four year three year supply, all of it went in 2020 um, because of the amount of work that was coming in. I definitely can say, hands down, I was burnt out this last year this time, totally burnt out, and I said. I got to get back to my original intention, and that is to design, create in my own time with my own designs and then put out a collection. So in 2021, January, I stopped taking commission work. I just started creating. Now, what I I haven't done is I haven't been able to create a collection because as pieces are finished, they're sold, which is a good thing. But it doesn't, I don't have the resources or the capacity to be able to create this collection as well as create pieces and sell. Um, I I, I wish I did. I wish I could have one workshop just concentrating on the collection and then another one concentrating on just retail. But at the moment, I don't have that. So right now, everything as it's made, it's sold. I have a list right now of about four to three people waiting on dining tables. And I'm just like, I don't know when you're going to get those. <laughs> so um, I did I did make one commission slip through, and that was for the Marley family. They, um, So Bob Marley's foundation, they are creating a, a really cool space in Kingston. And they approached me to do the furniture for it. And I absolutely had to say yes. <laughs> so that was the only commission piece the only commission job that, that ended up in my, on my plate for 2021.
1: I'm sure a lot of people are listening and and saying that the problems you're having, the being too busy, the having too much work are problems that they wish they had to Mm -hmm. have, to have 43 dining room tables lined up that aren't even on your list of things that you're making right now because you're already too busy is a lot of work to have. And that seems like a great place to have your business at, but it's also a scary place because you want to make the work for your clients, but sometimes you can't without scaling up, up to, a pl- yeah. to a place that you're not comfortable with being at so having too much work as crazy as it sounds can also be a problem for a business. So for you, how are you dealing with that? How are you dealing with client expectations for work that you want to make but you just can't scale fast enough?
0: So that's a very good question. Um I have a lot of people mad at me right now. <laughs> And feeling like it's um, uh, that it's something personal, and I and and I have to explain to them. I'm like, listen, it's absolutely nothing personal. I'm not making your dining table because there's an issue with you. You just have to understand that that this is my business model, right? And I've tried to put put as much of it on social media as possible, and so people can understand the journey and they can understand. Um, what I'm about. And not everybody's on social media. So I get still get like two, three calls a week, you know, hey, um, I'm opening up a new villa, and I need a dining table. Okay, but I'm, I am don't do commission work anymore. And you know, my dining tables are in high demand, and I'm my production is x, y, and z behind. And so I've had to learn to not get overwhelmed by it and not live with the feeling of guilt and what am I doing? I'm turning away business. This is crazy. I've had to learn to let that go because at the end of the day, it's not money that drives my process because I know that if I, if I use happiness and, and, and fulfillment to drive my process, then the money will come. Right. I have never, not once, never from I launched my business had one single week where I've not had an order. And I can tell you that's because I believe in I believe in my purpose and I believe why I'm creating these pieces and and I let that guide me. Now I'm the only person in Jamaica that rescues trees, right? So any other woodworker that's out there goes to a lumberyard. I am my own lumberyard. So I will go to great lengths to rescue a tree from a construction site or when they're clearing it from farmland or road you know road expansion we have a lot of highways being built on the island now and a lot of really old trees are having to come down so I'm really the only person in Jamaica that does goes to great lengths to get these trees and so it's a huge expense on my part to to rescue them to take them from where they are cut them up um, dry them out, debark them, fumigate them for termites. All of my pieces are fumigated. Um, and so, um, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to explain this process to people and for them to understand that there is not just a business side, there's also an emotional side. And I think for the most part, people understand that and they're very respectful of it. I try to put as much of my journey on social media, so that people can not just be inspired by it, but they can understand what I go through as an artist, you know, a self-taught artist, and that they can have an emotional connection to me. And because of that, they're very protective of me, right? So a lot of my um, followers, even though they're not clients, even though they've never bought a piece from me, they're still very invested in me. And, and, And that's something that I've been able to create from Instagram, right? So that was that's one of the other benefits of, of having a social media platform, and and so it's it's made it a little bit easier for the transition. Um, but I am going into a whole different chapter next year, twenty twenty two, which I just decided on this last week, um, and that's that's walking away from everything. That's that's a that's a whole different avenue now that that I'm going to take come twenty twenty two. We can move into that chapter if we want to.
1: <laughs> I think we have to. <laughs> so what what is what is that chapter look like?
0: So you know that I just recently went to New York, and when I travel, I get a lot of inspiration. And and I and I designed New York to happen. Yes, there was a lighting show that I a lighting conference that I went to, but the main reason for going to New York is to get some sort of inspiration and I went to Storm King and that was insane and really opened up my eyes to to realizing that there's so much more out there to learn and to and to connect with and you know I went to MoMA and I did you know um, the shed so you know I visited as much places as I could in the time frame as I was there and really got motivated And my brain has been busting from all these ideas of things that I want to do and avenues I want to get into, like, you know, create a whole homeware line, not just necessarily out of wood. Yes, incorporate some wood elements, but a lot more textiles. And so I decided that I was going to go to art school next year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave the workshop to create. Um, I'm going to try and create as much of it, try and leave my guys to, to do a lot of this, the heavy standing and some of the, um, you know, planing and leveling and stuff while I'm gone. But my plan is to go to art school, which is something I never did, and to really learn more about the business and in as many disciplines as I possibly can. So that's my goal for 2022, is to go back to the drawing board. You know, I've, I've mentioned it to to quite a few people. Everybody's excited about it, but one person said, that's ridiculous. You're in the height of your career. You're doing so well. There's a momentum there. Why are you stopping all of that to go back to school? That makes no sense. And I said, but you have to look at it as that I'm investing in my process to be able to create even more and to reach, you know, I said, I don't want to be just a brand that's known in Jamaica or the Caribbean. I want to be a global brand. I want to be out there and when I went to New York, a lot of the artisans that are featured are, are artisans that are not even American. They're from all different walks of life in all different countries. And I'm like, this is what I want to aspire to be. I want to aspire to be not just a furniture maker, which I cringe at that, by the way. <laughs> because I don't know, if I, don't know if, it's, if I made it clear, but every single piece that I make is one of a kind. So every single, even my charcuterie boards, nothing looks the same, right? So I see myself more as a, um, I call it a woodologist where I'm creating all sorts of different products from, from wood, but they're all unique and they all have an artistic story to tell. And so I really wanna play more into that. I want to get into big sculptures, get into textiles and get into other things so that my brand can, can reach an even further audience.
1: I don't I don't even know what I want to say. I I don't <laughs> think it, uh, you you really just love to reinvent yourself and you love to continue to explore where where you can take things and and that is an admirable trait and something that definitely keeps your life and business exciting and And I'm very much looking forward to seeing where this takes you and where your life is headed because this, because this is a furniture podcast and a business podcast about furniture. I do want to pull it back to your business. I do want to pull it back to your business because even though you are reinventing yourself as a person and, and where you stand in the industry and how you relate to it, you have been and Mm -hmm. are still, and will continue to run a successful furniture company Mm -hmm. with you at the helm, even though you are not building day to day, you have other people who are building stuff. So that furniture company will keep going on. And Mm -hmm. you said a little while ago that you're not in it for the money. That's not what drives you. But at -hmm. the same time, I think you have to admit that the money part of it is important because even though it might not be your creative drive and your inspiration drive, it's what lets you continue to create and continue to reinvent yourself. So let's talk a little bit about the pricing part of your work because you find yourself in a situation that you're controlling the market and the leader in the market for your area so you get to define your own pricing pretty much so let's talk a little bit about how you started pricing out your work and how you evolved to a point now that you're so busy you can't even handle the work you're you're bringing in
0: okay yes yeah. so so when i say that i don't i'm i'm not motivated by Um, the money aspect of it. What I meant by that was you don't start a business to lose money, right? You start a business to make money. And when when I allow for my process to be driven from a fulfillment standpoint, then I can guarantee that the money is going to come, right? So if I was driven by chasing after the money, I would be going after all sorts of clients, taking on all sorts of jobs, but I would be miserable, right? In the reverse, I take jobs on and I do things that make me happy and I'm guaranteed to make the money. So that's, that's just my approach. Um, you, you have to have a level of confidence in that approach um, and, a, and a level of security for sure. And it is daunting and it, you can feel nervous about it. But I have learned from doing it that way that every single piece I make gets sold, right? And so, so the money is still being made and I'm still successful, but I'm doing it at my on my terms, nobody else's terms. So my mantra is, I just want the freedom to be me. And the freedom to be me means that I get to express what I do and how I do it on my terms, and so my pricing, that has been that has been an up and down journey for me. And what happened a lot of times too with the commissioned work is that I was not earning as much as I could, because when I take a job on, especially because everything is one of a kind, I don't necessarily know at the end of that process what the what the labor how in labor intensive it's going to be, um, the materials that I'm going to need. Maybe when I first started out, the wood was fine. And then throughout the process, there was a split and I had to do much more work to it than I expected. And so when I was doing a lot more commissioned work, I was having a hard time with my pricing. When I flipped my business model to make, to just only make and retail, what that allowed me to do was calculate my time that I spent on each piece after it was finished and not guess. It allowed me to quantify the amount of materials that were used, you know, the finishing products. And I use Rubio, I use general finishes and I use products that are, are on the higher end. And so I live in a country where everything is controlled by an exchange rate. So when I, when I would do a commission job, if, if you know, a gallon or a, or a quart of Rubio would cost, you know, $70 at the time US, by the time I was done the job, the price went up because the exchange rate devalued. And so this way too, I get to control a lot of that um, specifics on pricing my job. And then I also look at the artistic aspect of it. So if a dining table has a really unique um, twist to it or vibe or you know something that's very different about it, then I can price that into it. And now I am in Jamaica. If I was in LA, Miami, London, New York, I could get five times what I could being here on the island. And so that, that's just something that you have to, I've had to factor in as well, um, being here, even though I am the leader in, the, in this industry. And then what has happened in like the past two, three years is that you've had a lot of people seeing the interest in live edge furniture and they've come along and they've started little businesses here and there, even though we're not on the same level at all, people now have other options. So, whereas before they didn't have any option and they would just have to pay whatever price I was giving it to them at. You know, this little man who's hungry to get his name out there and to do that, even though his quality of work is nowhere close to mine, the consumer sometimes don't care. And so they will just go after his his table because it's just a, it's just much more affordable. Now that's okay by me. I tell everybody there's enough sun to shine on everyone. And what that's allowed is for people of different means to be able to afford different price points. And you know, it's given everybody an opportunity to have a business, which is great. But my pricing has been challenging. It's challenging, it's challenging being on an island where we don't earn US right? Luckily for me though, I do have a lot of foreign clients. So people who own villas and have, you know, a lot of the hoteliers are not local. They understand and appreciate the value of my work and they would pay the top dollar for it.
1: Understanding your industry and the competition that's coming up and not fighting it, but embracing it and figuring out a way that You can stay ahead of them or even understanding that you don't need to get every client in the market that you can just aim for those high end clients and let everybody else fight for the lower end clients is is a good is a good mental place to be because, yes, it must have been great for you to be controlling the market for all that time, but. You can't control a market forever. If you are successful, there are going to be people who pop up and want to emulate your success. So understanding where you fit in a market is, is so important to the success of your business.
0: Mm-hmm. But the, the, the benefit I have is that I'm years ahead of them. So it helps to be the leader. It helps to be the first one out the gate because I'm so far ahead of the curve. So what I'm doing now, they can't replicate it yet. And a lot of times I wait because I have so much stuff that I've created. I sometimes will wait a year before I post anything. So, but it also in the reverse, it keeps you on your toes, right? It keeps you having to be constantly reinventing, you know? And people are looking at you like, okay, what, where is she gonna go next? you know and then you come up with the next thing and you're like wow how did you even think of that like that's that's pretty cool and so and that's another benefit of being in the wood industry because of of the wood itself there is so much that can be done with wood it's endless it's absolutely endless and remember as i said before in earlier in the podcast i don't even have machinery right so imagine if i had a cnc or if i had a um, a thickness or a plane or a drum sand or like any of those things. I don't even have a drill press. <laughs> I don't have a scroll saw. Um, you know, I don't have any of those things. So if you have those, you know, that type of equipment, I mean, you can be looking at supplementing your, your furniture business with other items too when things go a little slower. Because again, there is so much to be made. There is so much opportunity in the wood industry it's endless it's totally endless
1: now have you not equipped your your two shops with a full array of the classic quote-unquote woodworking tools because of the artistic process that each of your pieces undergoes where because it is one-of-a-kind custom furniture you're building it in a specific way that doesn't need those tools? Or is there another reason you're not outfitting your shop?
0: That's another good question. So we've honed our process down to a T and it works for us and it works for me. And so I've not needed anything more than what I'm using now, but a big part of that too, is that my pieces are so organic and large I mean, there's no, I would have to be spending so much money to buy a thickness of, to be able to use on the type of pieces that I have, right? And so the investment is not worth it in some some instances, right? For the furniture items that I make now, I have every single thing that I need. I don't need one more thing. Now, if I wanted to scale up and ramp up production and go more into creating one design and then replicating that design, then I would have to get into machinery, but that's not my business model.
1: Your furniture that you've been putting out very much has your soul in it, but with people who are successful in the furniture industry, a lot of times that success comes with scaling up and, when you are in such demand, you can't build everything yourself. So you have to bring in more people and you have Mm -hmm. to have employees and you have to have people that are taking the vision in your head and making it a reality. And with Mm -hmm. custom stuff and with one-off things, that is very, very hard because it's in your brain and (laughs) <laughs> it's in your head and you you need to share that with somebody else. So right? as, mm-hmm. as you've grown and as you've gotten to locations and as you've continued to get busier and scale up your business, what has been the key for you for working with other people to make your visions a reality?
0: So the first thing is um, paying them very well. So the guys that I have on my team, I I am probably the industry's leader in in terms of what I pay them. And so they're very um, loyal and committed. I treat them, I treat my, I call them my team. I treat my team very well. I have a lot of respect for them and they have a lot of respect for me. Everybody on my team has worked for me now for years, right? And so we, we have this we have a song and dance that we've we've choreographed over time that works extremely well for my process and so i have i do all my own metal work so i have my own welding plant and everything so i have a dedicated welder now um, i have you know if i do any sort of glass cutting i have a dedicated glass cutter that i have a guy that's his his main focus is just routing anything that needs routing that's his his thing um I have a guy that's um that does all my chainsaw work so I don't do any cutting anymore right I have somebody that that does all my cutting for me but what that also allows me to do is kind of step back so while he's cutting I can be back watching the process and guiding him as to where to cut what to cut how to cut it um and he's phenomenal like he gets he gets it he he understands my language we he he and i share the same brain i say to people um then i have a guy that's just dedicated to all of the heavy sanding i have another guy that's dedicated to the planing you know and so and so over the over time i've i've built out a team that gets my process that allows me to be able to deal more with the creative aspect and the design aspect instead of having to be in the workshop, in the grind all day long. So they they do a bulk of my heavy lifting for me because I'm also admin at the same time. I do all my own social media. I do all of my own filming and editing and, and, and posting. I do all my own accounting, um, you know, so I still have that left brain is very still active in my business as well as my right brain. And so, So, you know, I straddle both sides of, of, of the business. So building out that team has been critical for me to be able to create more pieces in a timely manner and still keep the quality that people have come to expect and the uniqueness. All the designs are my designs. Nobody on my team does any design work except me, which is, as I said, we've learned, we've choreographed a dance and it works extremely well. But it's been a process. We've it's it's been a, a journey to get to this point. So very happy at where I am now with that.
1: I hear all the work that you put in and I applaud you for it. You've built something tremendous and still have been able to keep your happiness at a level that is acceptable for you. So that that is very, very impressive. Now, there are people who are trying to break into the industry and and hear little bits of your story and think, that sounds like me. They're trying to jump into this industry like you did. And mm-hmm. there's people who have been in this industry for a while and who feel successful, but don't feel... Like they are all the way. They don't feel like they're reaching their full potential. Mm -hmm. So with your experience from the woodworking background, the marketing background, the business background, the employer background, what's some things from your experience that you could share with people who are also trying to be successful in this industry?
0: Well, the first thing I would say is not, not the ones that are already established, but certainly the ones that are coming into it or, or thinking about going into it. My first piece of advice would be create your own identity because a lot of even the ones that are here in the, in this country, in Jamaica, they are regurgitators. They, they copy other styles and other people's work and just churn that out. you know, they, they create from what they see, they don't create from what they feel. So my first piece of advice would be to create what you feel and not what you see. You have to create your own identity in order to make a name for yourself. You cannot be making what John Brown is making down the road, right? Because then you're just gonna look like a copycat and you're not gonna be able to really, you know, get out into the market with your own little spin on whatever it is you're doing. And I, would, and I would advise to start out really small, create maybe even just one piece. So when I first started out, all I made was floating shelves. I, that's all I did for like two months, I just created really cool floating shelves from the pieces that I would, I would um, learn to cut from my chainsaw. And I built up my business from just making these small little uh, floating shelves that were all of these unique shapes. And then every single one I sold, I would take that money and buy something else. You know, I would buy a grinder, I would buy a sander and I would just keep tooling up. But I started out really small. I had no investment. I had no loans. I only took the money that I made from those decorations and invested that into the business. And for every single piece that I sold, I invested it back into the business for the for for even still to this day. You know, I went from 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 working under a tree. When I first started, I was working under a tree with nothing, no covering, no shades. Anytime it rained, we'd have to run inside. And then I would, you know, went and bought my first tarp and then covered the tree with a tarp. And then I went from the tarp into a shed. And then I went from the shed into a facility with three 40 foot containers that I, bought for myself and, you know, created a created a workshop from that. And and so, you know, my advice would be to start small, maybe just start off with one or two products, really get into it and get known for that. And and that was also what helped me to figure out about the Live Edge aspect of it, because I didn't know what I was going to create. I didn't know what my look and feel was going to be. And most people are not even going to know. What their look and feel or their aesthetic um, design aesthetic is going to be so you have to tinker around and you have to play around and you have to you know get into it and 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 as i said to you at the beginning for the first little while as i went along i knew what i was not going to get into it's not just about learning what you want it's also learning about what you don't want and that's for the people who are are starting out and I, and the people who are already established that don't feel like they're living out their true potential it's it's that it's a constant learning process and and how you how you get inspiration and motivation is going out there and seeing what exists out there not to copy but just to get inspired right i'm always as you said before reinventing i'm always looking i'm always i spend hours every day um, looking at youtube videos buying books about you know female woodworkers or female creators and you can get inspiration from other industries it doesn't have to just be in the woodworking industry and so there's there's ways to get inspired and motivated to push your products but you have to keep reinventing if you don't feel like you're living your full potential that's because there's more for you out there and how are you going to know what that is You're going to have to seek it out. You have to go and get it.
1: You are definitely somebody who has gone out and got it. And somebody who has chased down their dreams no matter what people think. And yes, we've heard about all your successes, but I'm sure there's also been just as many setbacks. But because of how you have kept your mind focused on where you want to go you've been able to deal with those setbacks and turn them into learning experiences and move forward from there so mm-hmm. thank you so much for for sharing your story and and what a story it has been and i'm extremely excited to hear what comes next for you what the next chapters look like and to see you continue to grow your business in any way you see fit. So thank you so much for your time and for thank for you sharing, sharing your story.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Ameson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.